Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you open to the Gospel of Luke? Luke chapter 9. We are in a big series called Jesus Period as we are spending about a year and a half walking through the Gospel of Luke. And in this section, we're calling this Jesus the Friend of Sinners. And so we're coming close to the end of this section and and we've just seen Jesus doing ministry in Galilee. His disciples have confessed him as the Christ. They saw his glory on the mountain. And as they come down, and Luke's going to show us a series of stories where these disciples are just not getting it. They are missing the kingdom. And so this is what we're going to be looking at today, Luke 9. We're going to start in verse 37, and we're going to go to 56. So this is the word of the Lord. It says, On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I begged you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seized him and suddenly cried out. It, it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning in their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. And John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray that he would speak to us today. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for these disciples who give us a little bit of hope, Lord, because they're missing it. They're a mess, and they don't see Jesus clearly. And God, we know that can be us in so many ways. We sang earlier that we are prone to wonder, and we feel it. Lord. So God, would you speak to us today from your word that you might show us who Jesus is and what his kingdom is truly like so that we might not miss it, so that we might receive 
the hope of the kingdom, that we might walk in the ways of the kingdom, that we might receive and embrace the king of the kingdom. So God, would you speak to us today and help us in Jesus' name. Amen. How in the world did I miss it? That's what we hear on the show Amazing Race all the time. I don't know if you like to watch that show. My, my wife and I like to watch the Amazing Race. It's a game show where couples face all kinds of challenges as they race around the world. And it never fails. Every season there's a team that goes from first place all the way to last place because they missed something. Maybe they didn't read the clue closely and they missed it right there in front of them. Maybe they couldn't navigate the map in a foreign country and they missed a turn. Maybe they're in a crowded square and they can't find that little red and yellow marker that tells them where to go. But once they finally figure it out, it never fails. They always say, how in the world did we miss it? It was standing right there in front of us. How did we miss it? You know, we're all good at missing things, aren't we? I mean, if you've ever been driving and you missed your turn, then you know the feeling of missing it. If you've ever forgotten your kid had a school play that day during school, you know that feeling of missing it. If you've ever gotten the look from your wife, husbands, you know what I'm talking about? That look. You know the feeling of missing it, right? We're all prone to missing it, even when it's right in front of us. And the sobering reality for us today is that we are prone even to missing the kingdom of God, even when it's right in front of us. You see, we come to God's word today again, and we see the disciples of Jesus missing the kingdom of God, even with it standing right there in front of them. You see, they see the power of Jesus, and all that they can think of is the potential for political and military victory. They see the authority of Jesus, and all that they can see is a ticket to their own greatness. They see the command of Jesus over demons, and all that they can think of is their own self-promotion. They see the glory of Jesus, and all that they can see is the destruction of their enemies. You see, even with the kingdom of God standing right in front of them, these disciples are missing it. And of course, we're no better than these brothers, and we face these same temptations too. The kingdom of God can be right in front of us, and we can miss it. So my goal for us today, my, my prayer that I've been praying for us today, is that we would not miss the kingdom of Jesus, but that we would see the kingdom rightly, and that we, by God's grace, would embrace it. So first, here's my encouragement for us. Don't miss the kingdom's plan. Don't miss the kingdom's plan. So Jesus has just come down from the mountain with Peter and James and John. We saw last week how these disciples saw the veil pulled back and they saw Jesus in all of his glory. They heard God the Father speak from heaven saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. I mean, talk about a mountaintop experience to see the full glory of Jesus. But things don't go so well when they come down from the mountain. You see, at the bottom of the mountain, there's a great crowd around this desperate man. And he's begging for Jesus' help. He has a son. His only son has a demon, and it's making him suffer terribly. 
The boy has seizures and he foams at his mouth. It even throws him down on the ground. And this father cries out to Jesus and says, Hey, I asked your disciples, I begged them to cast this demon out of, of my boy, and, and they were unable to do it. And then notice what Jesus says in verse 41. He says, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. Man, that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? I mean, didn't I just say a few weeks ago that, that Jesus would never turn away anyone who comes desperately to him? I mean, this sounds like Jesus has just had enough. Tired of dealing with all these people that want to be healed. Now, Mark and, and Matthew give us a little bit more details to the story that, that help us understand it. But, but Luke is summarizing and he wants to draw our attention to that something is missing. The crowd is missing something. The disciples are missing something. Even the boy's father, in a sense, is missing something. So what is it? What are they missing? Well, Jesus tells us. Their faith. He calls them faithless. But faith in what? What, what faith are they missing? Well, faith in Jesus. You see, Jesus has been doing ministry all over Galilee, and the people still don't get it. You see, the kingdom is not about all of these signs and wonders. The kingdom is not about the potential to finally get rid of Rome once and for all. The kingdom is about Jesus. It's about a wholehearted trust in Jesus as king. And more than that, it's about faith in a crucified Messiah. Notice what happens next. So the boy is brought to Jesus. He casts the demon out and he heals the boy. But notice in verse 30, 43, as they're all astonished at the majesty of God, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Let this sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. You see, the plan is that this coming king is going to be handed over to men and he's going to be killed. I mean, Jesus already told his disciples this once earlier in chapter 9. The plan is that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. And there he will be killed on a cross to bring true salvation and rescue for anyone who would believe in him. You see, that's the kingdom plan. Faith in a crucified Messiah. Now we have to step back a minute and realize how shocking this would have been. Luke tells us the disciples didn't understand. In fact, they couldn't understand. I mean, the idea of a dead king sounds ridiculous. And in fact, it was even offensive to them. God's Messiah would be a mighty king, and he would come to kick those nasty Romans out of the promised land once and for all. At least that's what they thought. You see, they thought the Messiah would be a victor and not a victim. They thought he would be the one destroying God's enemies not dying on a cross. But you see, that's the plan. It's always been the plan for Jesus to come and die on the cross. Isaiah 53 speaks of God's chosen servant who would suffer so that God's people might be rescued. Daniel 7 speaks of a son of man who would be crushed by the beast of the nations in order to be delivered and to deliver God's people. You see, the Israelites had much greater pro problems than political oppression 
Rome was not enemy number one. Their sin was enemy number one. And Jesus didn't come to destroy Rome, but to destroy sin. And in order to do that, he chose to be destroyed on the cross. See, Jesus died for faithless people so that they might be rescued from their sin and unbelief. That is and that always will be God's kingdom plan. Maybe some of you here today have never been rescued from your sin and your unbelief. Friend, if if that's you, there's good news for you today. You see, Jesus went to a cross to rescue us from our sin and our unbelief. He was handed over to men so that he might suffer and die for anyone who would put their faith in him. So if you would repent of your sins and believe in Jesus, you can be saved. Today, right now, at your seat, you can do that. You can trust in Christ now. You can give up any hope of saving yourself and realize that Jesus is your only hope. So if you've never done that, would you do that today? Would you come to King Jesus and find salvation in His name? And if Jesus has saved you, then we need to remember that the plan always was and always will be about men and women, boys and girls, trusting a crucified king. The kingdom's plan is not about advancing a certain political agenda. It's not about having the right person in the White House. It's not about making USA the greatest nation in the world. The kingdom's plan is not about giving us comfortable, enjoyable lives. It's not about making us healthy and wealthy. It's not about protecting our rights. The kingdom's plan is not to promote us, but to promote Jesus. It's about calling the nations to faith in the one who lived and died and rose again for them. That's what God is after. That's why Jesus came, and that's what he wants us to be about. So brothers and sisters, let's not miss the kingdom plan, but let's trust our crucified king more and more. So don't miss the kingdom's plan. Number two, don't miss the kingdom's people. So the disciples are are really struggling when Jesus comes down from the mountain, but things are going to keep going downhill. Notice in verse 46 that right on the heels of this, the disciples start arguing about which of them is the greatest. I mean, just imagine the scene. Everybody's kind of being quiet for a minute, and Thaddeus has been thinking about this all day long, and he says... I think I'm the best disciple. There I said it. I think I'm the best. Andrew says, no way. I was the first one to follow Jesus. I've got to be the best disciple. James says, guys, it's not even close. I mean, Jesus took us up this mountain, and you're not even going to believe what we saw up there. Peter says, guys, come on. Jesus said, I'm the rock, and he's going to build the church on me. I've got to be the greatest disciple. They go on and on right there with Jesus standing with them. And he's just sitting there watching them argue about which one of them is the greatest. And Luke tells us more than that. He sees what's really going on in their hearts. And so he grabs a kid and pulls him to his side. And notice what he says in verse 48. Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him 
who sent me. They're arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And he says, hey, I want you to welcome this little boy in my name. To welcome a child is the same as welcoming Jesus and the father who sent Jesus. Well, why? Well, he tells us. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. You see, Jesus is reminding his disciples that everyone in the kingdom of God is great. It makes no sense to argue which one is the greatest when we're all great. You see, the disciples are leaning into status and position, but Jesus says, you're missing it. You should be leaning into those that you think are the least in the kingdom. You see, children were seen as insignificant. They were at the very bottom of the social ladder. One Jewish teacher in Jesus' day said that talking with a child was a complete waste of time. No one had less status or a lower position than a child. And so here's Jesus standing with the little boy at his side saying, this is the kind of person that you should be giving your attention to. The disciples are missing the people of, of Jesus' kingdom. And really, this is a theme that runs throughout Luke's gospel. Jesus began his ministry declaring that he's come to proclaim good news to who? The poor. He came to welcome the outsiders. He came to touch the untouchable. He came to show mercy to the poor and the oppressed. I mean, Jesus had no desire to jockey for position and status. But instead, his goal, his goal was to draw near to the lowly. And he calls his people to do the same too. Later in Luke 14, we're going to see Jesus say this. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Jesus said, hey, I want you to throw a dinner party, and I want you to go invite everybody who never gets invited to a dinner party. And that's when you're going to be blessed. And do we do that because we pity people and feel sorry for them? No, Jesus says we do that because they are great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus, by his death, purchased a people who are both rich and poor, who are black and white, American and Congolese, young and old, people from every nation, tribe and tongue. And every person who has faith in Jesus is great in the kingdom of God. And so if Jesus has purchased his people, then we ought to welcome any and every person that he purchased with his blood. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there's a sign in our lobby that says this. The rich and the poor are both heirs of the kingdom. The rich and the poor are both heirs of the kingdom. That's not some kind of woke idolatry. That's Jesus. That's what he's saying here. That's what James literally says in chapter 2, verse 5. He says, Has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? When we look at people in terms of status and position, then we miss it. We miss the kingdom's people. And Jesus wants us to press into the least among us. In fact, in Matthew 25, you can read it this afternoon, Jesus says that that's how he's going to come and bring judgment upon the world. Those who 
served and loved and cared for the least of his brothers are those who will gain entrance into his kingdom. Now, he doesn't say that we're saved by caring for the poor, but it's the evidence that we've been saved. Drawing near to the least of Jesus' brothers, it's what we should do. It's what Christians do. Paul in Romans 12, 16 says, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Plain and simple, he says, be friends with the poor. Spend less time climbing the social ladder and spend more time loving and serving the poor. Stop rubbing shoulders and start washing feet. That's what Jesus says. And that's the way of the kingdom. And so if we're going to see the kingdom rightly, we must see the kingdom's people rightly. So brothers and sisters, let's not miss the kingdom's people, but let's strive for greatness by serving those that we see as the least. Don't miss the kingdom's people. Number three, the next story, don't miss the kingdom's partnership. So Luke moves on to show us that things, man, they're still going downhill for the disciples. He has just called them out for selfishly arguing over which one of them was the greatest. And can you imagine this? It was probably a little awkward there. Probably nobody was really saying anything. But then John in verse 49 speaks up and says, Hey, Master, uh, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and they're not part of us. So we told him to stop. John probably felt pretty good about himself. I mean, didn't Jesus choose 12 disciples to do this kind of thing? You go back to verse 1 of chapter 9, didn't he give them the authority to cast out demons? I mean, how dare these other people do ministry in Jesus' name? And so John is saying, don't worry, Jesus, I told him to stop. And Jesus must have been shaking his head. He said, what? Don't tell them to stop. Don't do that. If they are not against you, they're for you. Now, certainly, Jesus did call these 12 men to follow him, and, and they had an amazing calling to learn from Jesus and to continue his mission and to establish the church. They had a unique role in doing that, but the goal was never just these 12 men. The goal is that these 12 men would make disciples, who would then make more disciples, who would then make even more disciples. The goal was to use these 12 men to begin a movement of kingdom partnerships that would spread throughout the whole world. Kingdom partnerships that would faithfully proclaim the gospel and make disciples and plant churches to the ends of the earth. That's the goal, and these disciples are missing it. And the sad truth is that we can miss it too. I mean, we might never go so far or so bold as John to tell other people to stop ministering in Jesus' name. But we can have that very same spirit. A spirit where we see other churches as competition. A spirit where we see other campus ministries as competition. A spirit where we see other missionaries as competition. A spirit where our first question is always, what's in it for our church? Or a spirit where we seek only our good as a church. A spirit where we think the kingdom of God belongs to Christ Fellowship Church. And what on earth would Jesus do without us? Luke is warning us against that kind of spirit. 
And Jesus is inviting us into something better. He's inviting us to partner together for others for the kingdom's sake. You see, he is the one who died and who rose again. And that means the kingdom belongs to him. But still he invites us into his kingdom work in the world. And he invites us to do that work together. To spread his kingdom to the ends of the earth. So here's what that could look like in our church. First, we need a spirit of cooperation, not competition, like I said. We need to be excited when others are doing the work to spread the kingdom of Jesus. We need to be excited when others are blessed by God with fruit in their ministry. I mean, what if we found out that a new church plant was going to start meeting at Parker Bennett Curry next month? What would be our attitude? We'd be frustrated. But we say this is our neighborhood that we're trying to reach. We'll be worried about where are we all going to park if we've got two churches meeting here. Or would we be excited? Yes. More kingdom partners in this neighborhood, in our city, in the world. More gospel witness. More glory for King Jesus. We need a spirit of cooperation, not competition. And second, we need to support and start other kingdom work in the world. Y'all, I'm so encouraged by what God is doing through our partnership with Forest Park. The partnership where we are working with them to replant that congregation. To continue faithful gospel ministry in our city. I'm thankful that God has brought our churches together to partner for the sake of the kingdom. And you might think, why would we be willing to send some of our members to that church? Why would we want to do that? Because it's Jesus' church. It's not ours. I mean, think about this. We are worshiping in a building that another church decided to give to our church. The members of Andrew Baptist wanted the kingdom of Jesus to advance in this neighborhood, and they gave us this building. Friends, we need to continue that legacy of supporting gospel work in our city and around the world. Even if it does nothing to help our church. Even if it actually hurts our church. We have less members, less giving, less people coming, less resources. That's okay because it's not about us. I mean, think about this. What if we were the ones to plant a church at Parker Bennett next door? Why would we not want to do that? Lord, make us the kind of church that wants to see the kingdom of Jesus advanced more and more. So, brothers and sisters, let's not miss the kingdom partnership. Let's not be like the disciples and see others doing ministry in Jesus' name and want them to stop. But let's seek to serve the kingdom of Jesus more and more together. So don't miss the kingdom's partners. Then lastly, number four, don't miss the kingdom's purpose. So Luke gives us one more story of the disciples missing it. Luke tells us in verse 51 that the days for Jesus to head to Jerusalem have drawn near. His face is set to the city and to the cross that's waiting for him. And so he sends some people ahead to prepare the way. He's, we're going to see soon that he's going to kind of go on a tour towards Jerusalem, a ministry tour. And they head first to a village in Samaria. But Luke tells us the people don't receive him. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. And so James and John, two of the disciples, see this. And they come to Jesus and ask a question. Lord, 
do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume this village? They probably feel pretty good about themselves, right? These people don't want anything to do with you. Let's bring judgment. Let's ask for fire to rain down from heaven on them. Remember, the Jews hated the Samaritans. And on top of that, this village is rejecting Jesus. So this seems like a pretty good reason for judgment. The disciples are probably thinking of stories of Sodom and Gomorrah, where fire fell on that, those cities. Maybe they're thinking of Elijah, where fire came, rained down from heaven and consumed the prophets of Baal. The disciples feel like, hey, this is a pretty good time for us to ask fire to come down from heaven and destroy these people. But notice what Jesus does. In verse 55, Luke tells us he looked at them and he rebuked them. He says, no, no, don't ask for fire to come down from heaven on them. That's not what we're here to do. You see, the mission of Jesus is not to bring judgment, but to bring mercy. To bring grace and forgiveness. I mean, Jesus, just think about the Gospels. He's not going town to town looking for people to destroy. He's on a mission to seek and save the lost. That's the purpose of the kingdom. Now, certainly, Jesus one day will bring judgment on the whole earth. Every single person who's ever lived will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he will bring his almighty wrath down upon those who do not bow the knee to him in worship. But even that is not the kingdom's mission. That's not the reason Jesus is bringing the kingdom down to earth. I mean, John must have learned his lesson from this story because he wrote this in his gospel, John three seventeen, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Sounds like John learned his lesson, didn't he? Think about what Jesus says at the end of the Gospel of Luke. He is giving this commission to his disciples and he says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that what? That we're going to go around asking fire to come from heaven and destroy people? No, but that, forgiveness, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You see, forgiveness is the purpose behind the kingdom's mission. Not judgment, not fire from heaven, but grace and compassion and love. You see, it can be easy for us to miss the kingdom's purpose, too. I mean, we can say the kingdom is all about love and grace and forgiveness, but at the same time, we can want fire to come down from heaven to destroy others around us. I mean, just wait till you get cut off in traffic this afternoon and see if you're feeling good about grace or if you feel like you want fire to come down from heaven. Wait till a brother or sister in this church offends you and see if you're feeling good about forgiveness or if you want fire to come down from heaven. I mean, we can all struggle to be just like James and John, can't we? I mean, we can be so quick to want judgment for people who have different political views than us. We can be so quick to want judgment for people who criticize us. And we prayed for pro-life causes earlier in the service, but can't we struggle to want judgment for those who are pro-choice? I mean, when we're quick to want fire to fall down from heaven, we are missing the kingdom of heaven. 
We're missing its purpose. We're missing the fact that Christ came to seek and to save the lost, to offer grace and forgiveness. In 2015, Dylan Roof walked into a South Carolina church and he shot and killed nine people just because they were black. I mean, if anyone deserves to call down fire from heaven, it's the families of these dear victims. But when Felicia Sanders had the chance to talk to Dylan in the courtroom, she said this to the man who murdered her son just because he was black. She said, you took my love away from me. I forgive you. And may God have mercy on your soul. I mean, there's a woman who deeply understands the purpose of the kingdom of Jesus. You see, Jesus went to the cross to take the judgment that we all deserve for our sin. And if we have been forgiven much, then we must learn to forgive much. If we have been shown grace, we must learn to show grace. And if we have received mercy, then we must give mercy. And we must pray that God would give mercy, even to our worst of enemies. So brothers and sisters, let's not miss the kingdom's purpose, but let's seek to show grace and forgiveness and mercy. Because really, at the end of the day, it's the mercy of Jesus that gives us hope, is it not? I mean, Luke is not shying away from how much the disciples are missing it here. And if we're honest, I think we would admit that we struggle to miss the kingdom too. We're tempted to think that the kingdom is about power and not faith. We're tempted to think that the kingdom is about greatness and status. We're tempted to think that the kingdom is about promoting our own self-interests. And we're tempted to think that the kingdom is about judgment for all those terrible people out there. But friends, Jesus didn't give up on his disciples, and he won't give up on us either. Jesus took this group of selfish prideful, messy men, and he used them to turn the world upside down. He loved them, he bled and died for them, he rose for them, and he filled them with his spirit. And brothers and sisters, by his mercy, Jesus has done the exact same for us. He loved us. He bled and he died for us. He rose for us and he's filled us with his spirit. So as we look to Jesus today, let's embrace him and let's embrace his kingdom. Let's lean into our faith in a crucified Messiah. Let's learn to love the least of the brothers and sisters among us. Let's link arms with others for the sake of the gospel in this world. And let's let mercy triumph over judgment. Will we miss the kingdom at times? Of course we will. But we have a king who loves us, a king who's working on us, a king who's making us new, a king who invites us to embrace him as we embrace the way of his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. God, it can be so easy to read these stories about the disciples and think, man, they were missing it. I mean, Jesus was right there with them. 
How could they be so foolish and heartless and selfish? But God, we know this is a mirror into our own hearts as well. Jesus is even here among us by His Spirit, and we too can be foolish and heartless and selfish. So we're thankful for Christ who loves people like us, who lived and died and rose again so that we might have grace and mercy and forgiveness, so that we might have His Spirit living inside of us, making us new, helping us to walk in the ways of the kingdom. So would you help us, Lord, to press into our faith in Jesus? Would you help us, Lord, to lean into the least of these? Would you help us, Lord, to link arms with others for the sake of the gospel? And would you help us to let mercy triumph over judgment? Lord, I pray for those who don't know Christ today. May they receive that mercy today. And may we all trust Christ cling to Christ, treasure Christ, and seek to walk in the ways of His kingdom. God, help us not to miss it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.